Welcome, folks. Thanks for tuning in to this newest episode of Matt Sport House. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson. Let's get right into this week's discussion. The Duke Blue Devils escaped Colonial Life Arena Sunday night, knocking off the UCF Knights with the final score of 77-76. The Knights were the ninth seed, and the Blue Devils were the one seed. Although Duke won, some of their weaknesses were exposed, including the fact that they struggled shooting the three balls a team overall. I mean, this has been kind of known throughout the season, but it was kind of... Uh, emphasized um, Sunday night and against North Dakota State. Also, as a team, they have to be able to get into the lane and score to short jumpers at the back, at like the free throw line, and or dunks, which is some people call playing above the rim. Otherwise, they're nearly as productive as a team. Uh, the UCF had what I call the great uh, antidote to Duke, who was a uh, his name is Taco Fall. He's a seven foot six, three hundred ten pound big. And he pretty much protected the rim all night whenever he was in. I'm still kind of wondering why he wasn't in more, but I guess he was in foul trouble because he inevitably ended up uh, fouling out towards the end of the game. But whenever he was in, he caused the major problems. He was an asset on offense because, I mean, the guy didn't even have to jump to dunk. And on defense, he was protect. Like I said before, he was protecting the rim. And so what ended up happening is at the end of the game, our Zion Williamson misses his last free throw. R.J. Barrett was able to put back in the game-winning lay-in. I'm not sure he would have been able to do that if Taco would have been in there because he would have had a guy who was 7'6", standing in between him and the basket. And that's where Taco was pretty much the whole night on the defense end of the floor. But you can't change the ending. He did foul out, and that's just what happened, and uh, Duke won the game. I'll tell you what, though. The Duke Blue Devil fans are definitely breathing a sigh of, a sigh of relief that they escaped this round. Other teams should really be thanking UCF because they've kind of given um, – UCF is kind of given like – the rest of the teams a template to beat Duke because I would say UCF might have had the game better game plan at night and definitely should have won the game. Some other things I took from the game and like I've just kind of noticed after doing some research. Duke's point guard Trey Jones is shooting about twenty three percent from three point range. Guys, okay, so that's close to twenty five percent. So let's do some math. That's like so one in every four three pointers he puts up they go in. So that means three in every four are go- not going in. Anyway, so what I know is what UCF did, where they kind of dare him to shoot the three ball. It's like, so they'll leave him at the top of the key. You know, don't really have a guy put a hand in his face because they just don't believe he's going to make it. They don't want to waste their energy. Now, this is an interesting thing. I'm sure Coach K is going to coach um, him up this week, try to get that shot flowing. Because if he get that shot and people are leaving him open at the top of the key, by himself, that's going to be a potentially be an extra 9 to 12 points per game if he's able to knock those down. And that is a huge difference. 9 to 12 points is usually the difference between winning and losing and might even uh, be winning or losing with a couple points on the side. Also, it would force teams to have to defend some, something else right now. They kind of think him as the passing point guard or a good driver, driving kick or kick out to the three-point line. But it would definitely force teams to have to um, – not only think about the Zions and the RJs, but to think about him as a three-point shooter, and that would be that would simply be beneficial to Duke. On the bright side, though, I think a lot of times we forget uh, most of the, the star players on Duke are freshmen and were in high school last year. So there's plenty of all the more they play. The more film they get, the more that Coach K can coach them up. So you can say anytime they play on the floor, it's, it's beneficial because even if they're doing wrong, they get to go back and study the film, learn what they did wrong, and be better for the next time they go out on the floor. One thing that this this game definitely showed, though, against UCF was to beat Duke. If you have a big guy in the middle that's really big and can defend rim, you can beat them uh, because UCF was very close to doing so. As a team, just like Jones, though, uh, they struggled shooting. 
Uh, so what you could take from that would be if if you can shoot a lot of threes, you can beat Duke. Also, if you can force them to sh- continue to shoot threes, you can beat them because that, that's going to mess up their whole entire offensive philosophy. I like Cam Reddish a lot. I, at some points in the game, especially against North Dakota State, I liked him more than R.J. Barrett. I just felt like he was around the ball out more. I think he's a better shooter, too. Um, and one thing that I've noticed Duke hangs their hat on is playing great defense. And I've noticed that kind of tournament-wide. Everybody's been playing top-notch defense. Kind of gets away from the narrative that these young guys, you know, that old heads in the gym, say young guys can't play defense. I think if they can continue playing with this type of intensity, it's better for the game of basketball anyway. Also, whenever high school coaches are sitting there watching a game with their teams, they're like, look, guys, y'all need to play defense. Even at that level, they play it. So that's always good for the team. And other news, Coach K, uh, for I mean, good for the sport. And other news, Coach K for Duke uh, made a point at his press conference to let everyone know how much he enjoyed Columbia, South Carolina, as, you know, being host for the regionals. Uh, his comments included, by the way, just to thank you, just thank you for the city, just thank you, city of Columbia. Wow, what a beautiful city, everything about it, the arena, and especially the state troopers. I thought the state troopers thing was kind of odd, because it's like, oh yeah, it's been a great place, I love the facilities, blah, blah, and the state troopers are excellent, but you know, that's what he enjoyed about it. I think this will definitely help, not just him, because I, I was there, and they were handing out a lot of surveys and stuff, so I think they're really going to try to make a push to get this thing back to Columbia. I was actually kind of surprised it wasn't more traffic but you know it worked to my benefit okay switching gears to the murray state racers who upset the fifth seed marquette golden eagles on thursday night in the first round i called that upset if you want to go to the previous podcast i just felt like murray state had it going they won that game pretty decisively too john morant kind of jumped on he had already jumped on the scene throughout this season people were talking about him but after that game on friday the whole entire media circuit was all over him saying he might some people were saying he was better than zion but he's a really good uh complete player He's definitely going to the top three players in the draft. It's kind of like a bet between him and between RJ and Ja. And also, my last podcast, I was calling him Jay. His name's Ja. John Morant from Crestwood, South Carolina. When you watch him play, he's very smooth, has great handles, and he can jump out the gym. He's very good at getting his teammates involved. You definitely could see that against Marquette, but when they lost to they lost to Florida State on was that on Saturday afternoon, sixty-two to ninety. Sometimes you saw that he has a long way to develop still, kind of throwing passes that maybe maybe were ill-advised. But, you know, it comes and goes just like the guys from Duke. Although this guy, Ja, is a sophomore, the more they play, the more they get used to it, especially at the NBA level. I'll tell you one thing I loved about Ja, though, after the game at the press conference, or he might have just been talking to a reporter. The reporter says, so, like, what you going to do next? You know, you, I, some guys go mourn. Some guys go hang out, party, whatever case may be. He said, I'm going to go ahead and get some shots up the next day. That just, But that kind of just goes to show you how he is at the level he is now because he's just willing to put in the work. And that after a loss, his thing is next that we're putting up shots. And he's better than most of the players that were even competing in the tournament, although he's coming from a small school being Murray State. One thing I know the SEC is excited. The SEC still has several teams in the tournament. They still have Auburn, Kentucky, LSU, and Tennessee. The SEC is really turning out to be one of the best conferences in the NCAA, if not the best. Because think about it, in football, they're dominant. Besides, I mean, Alabama um, Alabama did lose to Clemson this year in the championship. But they have a lot of teams always in the mix in football, in baseball, in softball, and now even basketball. 
the last time you had four teams in the um, going into the Sweet 16, which is a fourth of the team still remaining, all from the same conference being the SEC. Switching gears to college football, which is one of my favorite topics. This transfer this transfer portal thing was a great idea, but some coaches like Gary Patterson are do not like it. As a matter of fact, Gary Patterson said he wants to see the people who are proving. And it's not just the fact that these players can transfer. Obviously, coaches can do that, being that they can like be cut or not cut, but being released from a team fired and go to another team. But it's the fact that all these the star players like Tate Martell and uh, Justin Fields, for example, are all getting these hardship waivers. And so now, and it's like, no, I'm not saying because I don't really know their situation, but it's like the star players getting these hardship waivers so that they can go play at a new, a bigger school immediately. Meanwhile, a lot of the times guys aren't as well known or having to sit out for a year. So it's like, what is the method to this? So I understand what Gary Patterson is going for. He, like, he wants to see like, how are all these guys that are star players being able to go transfer and play right away? And and get hardship waivers. Meanwhile, other guys who have the same problems aren't. But I haven't I'm gonna do some more research on that and I'll get back with you on that one. In the NFL, Rob Gronkowski, five hundred tight end for the New England Patriots, well former now, five hundred twenty-one receptions in his career, seven thousand eight hundred sixty-one yards and seventy-nine touchdowns has decided to retire. The guy's been injured a lot. Uh, Shannon Sharp made a very good point. It's probably just hard for this guy to get to the game sometimes. I mean, he's he had to miss his whole entire senior year in college at the University of Arizona because of a back injury. So it, heading into the NFL, he was hurt. And, you know, the NFL surely is not 16 games, grown men hitting each other. That that can't help that. Every part of his body seemed like it has been injured, and those are the ones that have been on the injury list. So there no telling what other little nicks and bruises he has. He's uh, he's about to be 30 years old. He's been cut open several times. And Shannon said this, too. He's like, the more times you get cut open, the, the worse it is for you. And so this guy has a whole life to live. You know, after football, he's already going to be a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer. So with that being said, he's got three champ- three Super Bowl championships. It's kind of time, I guess, in his opinion, I guess, uh, Rob Gronkowski's opinion. It's time for him to see what other things he can do outside of football. Because like I said, he's only 30. He still has potentially 60 years of life left. And you don't want to, like, get out of the NFL and have to, like, limp around because you stayed in too long. So, I, you know, you respect his decision. I'm sure he'll be successful. Uh, he has a big brand outside of football, too. So if he wanted to do wrestling or if he wanted to do probably commentating, I can see him definitely doing something with bar- Barstool Sports. He's that kind of guy. Uh, I'm sure those opportunities will be open for him and uh, wish him the best of luck. Big Baller Brand, uh, I was about to go get a sweatshirt, I guess I'm not going to now, has taken a major loss in being Lonzo Ball has decided to split ways with the company. Lonzo was obviously the son of LeVar Ball and the brother of LiAngelo and LaMelo. And the reason that he's leaving is because of money. Uh, Alan Foster, if you don't watch Ball in the Family, you should. But Alan Foster is like the business, the, the guy that handles all the business of the big baller brand. And Lonzo feels that he used his access to my business and uh, personal finances to enrich himself. As a result, I, being Lonzo, have decided to severe all ties with Alan effective immediately. It all started... Uh, a couple years back when Lonzo's financial advisor uh, attached two itemized reports to an email that um, he allegedly, he being Allen, had allegedly been pulled withdrawing cash from Big Baller Brand. 
And it was like um, over $1.5 million had disappeared and had been wired over 474000 to himself through a consulting thing that was Allen's business on the side. So close to $2 million had touched Allen's hands, but $1.5 million had disappeared in cash and it could not be tracked. This is never a good thing. And Allen was like a very close friend of friend of the family. I know it really hurt LeVar because it's like this guy, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this wasn't the first time that Allen had been suspected of wrongdoing as far as financially. In 2012, in 2002, Foster had pleaded guilty to one count of mail fraud and two counts of money laundering for his involvement in the scheme that by that built like 70 investors out of 4 million. So one would wonder why did LeVar know about, why didn't LeVar know about Foster's history? And if so, why would he let Allen, which is Allen Foster, uh, work with the finances of Big Baller brand? LeVar did comment on this situation. However, he tried, he said that he tries to see the best in people, even though they may or may not have a criminal record and that he supports Lonzo wholeheartedly and together they will make this right. This has to be a big blow to LeVar because he did not see this one coming. Lonzo was supposed to be the face of Big Baller brand and he just left Big Baller. So it, 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 this can't go over too well. But that's how it works. I am feel I feel like uh, Lonzo will probably go ahead and sign with Nike or Under Armour or Puma or with any one of those other companies and LeVar is going to be stuck to figure out the big baller brand in their uh, future. Okay, this is something that doesn't relate at all to sports, but just something regard. It's actually regarding a college admission scandal that included bribery to get students into top school. Okay, so everybody at there is at these parents' necks, and rightfully so because it is unfair that some kids' parents paid money and some guy went in and was taking their um, what are those exams called? Those. Uh, you know, state exams, SATs, all that stuff. And their child was getting illegal assistant on those standardized tests. And it really helped them get to any school of their choice and kind of unfairly. Meanwhile, everyone else had to do it the old fashioned way. This being that if you study, if you choose or not, you just go in, you take the test. And so my question is to you all is if you had the finances to be able to afford to pay someone to do it, uh, to get the child into the school of their choosing by having somebody go take the exam for them and you had the resources, would you consider it? Because I know it's easy for everybody to say no whenever we don't have the money or the resources, but if it came to you, if you were in that um, space, I guess you would say, would you consider it, immediately say no, or even say yes and take the same route these parents did, although that was the criminal way of doing it? It's something to think about. Uh, that's all I have today on this edition of Matt Sporthouse. For questions, comments, concerns, you can find me on Twitter, Matt the Chosen One. I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening.